Okay. Uh, please, can I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 8? There is a, there's a very real sense of needing to brace ourselves for these next 20, 25 minutes or so, because as we move on in our reading of Revelation from the breaking of the seven seals to the blowing of the uh, seven trumpets, Jukes, uh, if we can go back to the very first slide, yeah, great. As we go from the, the breaking to the blowing of these seven trumpets, there is something genuinely frightening and deeply disturbing about so much of what we're going to encounter and consider today. And yet, right up front, I, I need to, and I want to say two things. The first is that what is revealed to us through this scene in a highly figurative way, and oh my goodness, are the images emotive and striking. But what is revealed to us here, the central subject is found throughout the Bible. And that is the reality of judgment and justice. God's judgment against evil and sin in order to put things right and make things right, including us, is talked about and it's expressed on nearly every page of Scripture. You can't escape it. You mustn't escape it. And so at one level this morning, we're not necessarily going to learn anything new. But I tell you what, we're going to learn it in a new way. We're going to learn it in a new way. In a vision where John sees and describes scenes and situations that ignite the imagination, that stir our emotions, and maybe even cause our hearts to beat that little bit faster. But the judgment of God's not a new topic. It's not a new reality reserved for revelation. It's everywhere in the Bible. Although as we read on in this letter, it does reach a climax, I know. The second thing I need to say and want to say, which may seem rather strange, weird, maybe even a little off to some, is that judgment is good news. Good news because it says and it declares that God takes evil and sin and their devastating effects seriously. God cares. God is not indifferent to, He's not tolerant of either evil or sin. Justice will be served. And it has to be. It needs to be, and if we're honest in the most part, we want it to be. We long for justice. We possibly, some of us, possibly even pray for it. And as it turns out, as we look closely at this scene in this text, the judgments of God that we're going to come across this morning are in part in answer to the prayers of God's people for justice. And I'll explain that in a moment. But for now, I want us to understand, I want us to see, I want us to get that judgment is good news for those who are willing to take heed now. Somebody said to me last uh, Sunday in the way, said, look, David, 
each Sunday at the minute as we're going through Revelation, there, there, there kind of feels to be a real heaviness in the room, and, and I recognize that. I recognize that. And it's okay. So before we get to these trumpets, we need to hear about and think about the seventh seal, because I know some of you have been asking, because we've only done six of the first seven seals. Some of you have been saying, what about the seventh seal? Well, two weeks ago, we witnessed the first six seals of that scroll of redemptive history being slit open by the Lamb. And then you'll remember there was a pause. There was an interlude where the question, who can stand? And during that pause and during that interlude, that question was addressed and answered in chapter 7. And that was what we looked at last week. And so the answer to who can stand, I don't know if you remember this, there were two answers to this. Who can stand? Those who have been sealed by God and those who have been saved by Jesus. This numberless, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual multitude who one day will stand forever in the sheltered presence of God with the Lamb as their shepherd in the most perfect environment and conditions imaginable, where there'll be no more tears. That's who can stand. That's who will stand. And then the interlude's over. And you arrive at the beginning of chapter 8 and the opening of seal number 7, which introduces the seven trumpets. And so, if you are able and willing, I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's Word. And as you do that, there is part of me that would love to read all chapters 8 and 9. I really would, so that we could feel the message, not just hear it, but feel it. But we don't have time. And quite honestly, I'm not sure we would cope if we did. So I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter 8 and then the last two verses of chapter 9. So here, here we go. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And then go to chapter 9, the last two verses, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Please have a seat. There is still time. There is still an opportunity to repent. And repent we must. 
And please don't say we haven't been warned. But back up for a second, because how surprising or different is what happened when the seventh seal was slit compared to the first six? Seal seven is opened, and heaven falls silent. Like total silence for 30 minutes or thereabouts. When seals one to six were opened, the noise was deafening. Angels shouted, horses galloped, martyrs cried, the earth shook, stars fell. But when seal seven is slit, silence. The full-on worship service that had been going on 24-7 stops. For half an hour. Why? Well, whatever the answer, this is clearly a significant moment, and therefore everyone holds their breath. And in the silence, seven angels are given seven trumpets, but they don't start blowing them yet. Another angel stands at the altar holding a golden censer, which is like a container, filled, it says, with burning incense. And to the smoke is added the prayers of all the saints, which are then offered before the throne. And together the sweet smell rises before God and to God. The prayers of all the saints. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, that is your prayers raising to God. It's not just the prayers of super special Christians. Every believer is a saint. That is who you are. We've looked at this before. And so, for example, whenever Paul was writing letters to various churches, here's how he often started. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus or Colossae or wherever. Christians are saints, not because of anything they have done or deserved, but because of Jesus, which is why to finish that particular sentence that's on the screen or to finish the sentence that starts the letter to the church of Colossae, it says this to the saints who are in Ephesus, in Christ Jesus. Christians are in Christ, and because they are in Christ, they are saints. And so that's your prayers that we're reading about that are rising to God. And they smell sweet. And you mightn't believe that, but it's the reality. Because you see, things are not as they seem or not only as they seem. And if you need a fresh perspective on prayer this morning, there it is right there. But there's another key aspect to these prayers because back in chapter 6, when that fifth seal was slit, do you remember we heard the prayers of those who had lost their lives for Jesus? The martyrs? 
who from under the altar we read, they cried out, they prayed out to God, how long, O Lord, holy and true, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, the short answer you'll remember was given in chapter 6. How long? Just hang on, said God. Just wait until your number is complete. But here in chapter 8, right through to chapter 11, we're given a bigger answer. We're given a larger answer, which actually tells us that God is not refraining from judgment. Judgment is being worked out right now on the stage of history. I say it again. Things are not only as they seem. And so back to chapter 8, verse 5. Because look at what the angel with the censer then does. And this is a bit of a shocker. He takes the censer. He fills it with fire from the altar. And then what does he do? He throws it on the earth. And the silence is broken and thunder blasts and lightning peals and the earth goes into spasms. In other words, and remember symbolism, in other words, at this moment in time, God is answering the cry for justice. The sounding of the seven trumpets that follow is surely an answer for the cry for justice. Judgment is now happening. Has been, is, and it will be. And although it sounds terrifying, which it is, if you've read it, and although the particular forms of judgment are not what any of us would have imagined or wanted, it is as the 24 elders, whenever the seventh trumpet is sounded, the elders declare, God is acting in justice. God is dealing with evil. God is dealing with sin. God is putting things right. He's sorting out the mess before making or as he makes all things new. And in it all and through it all, he is sounding a war. Repent. So, how long, God, will you refrain from judging? Goes the cry, screams the prayer. Well, well. Now, before we brace ourselves to hear the trumpets and to see what follows, let me make a couple more important comments. The judgment that we are about to read in these chapters is not total. Say that again. The judgment we are about to read in these chapters is not total. The sounding of these trumpets does not bring full and entire judgment. The pouring of the seven bowls that we'll come to, it's a different matter. But as you listen to these trumpets, you keep hearing, you keep reading fractions it's just weird. And there are limited time scales. So what does that mean? This is where if you do have a copy of God's Word in front of you, it's going to be really helpful. Eight times in the space of a few chapters, we hear the fraction one-third. Look at it with me. Chapter 8, verse 7, a third of the earth. Verse 8, a third of the sea. 
Verse 10, a third of the rivers. Verse 11, a third of the waters. Verse 12, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. And over to chapter 9, verse 15, it's a third of humanity. And when it comes to those demonic locusts, which sting like scorpions for five months, it's limited time. So, what's the point? What's the point of the fractions? Well, in a word, it's mercy. It's one-third, it's not two-thirds. It's not three-thirds. It's five months. It's not forever. It's not unto death. And as we've said before, fractions and numbers in Revelation are not to be taken with mathematical literalness. They're symbols. And just to be clear on that, if one-third of the sun went out, the earth would cease to exist, period. It'd be curtains. It would be game over. One-third is a symbol. Five months is a symbol. But what is it a symbol of? It's a symbol of mercy. For those of you who have been part of this, you might remember back to the seals. Do you remember when the fourth seal was slit and the fourth horse was released and it was pale in color and its rider was death and death was accompanied by Hades? Do you remember reading this? And they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. You see, the fractions are getting bigger. It was a quarter. It's now a third. It's intensifying. But still, still, there's mercy. God in his grace and his mercy is still given an opportunity for you to repent. There's still, still time to stop living for self. Still time to stop pursuing other gods. Still time to turn from godless reality. Still time to take Jesus seriously. Take Jesus to heart and live life as it was intended. God does not want any to perish. Can I say that so clearly? And that's me just quoting Scripture. That's not me saying that. God does not want anyone to perish. But you and I have been warned of the consequences of ignoring Him. Judgment is happening. And ultimate and final judgment is inevitable. For now, there's still time. There is still mercy. It's one-third. It's five months. You have been warned. Which, by the way, is why angels blow trumpets. Trumpets appear and get blown in Scripture so many times. They call people to worship in numbers. They declare that a feast is about to start in Joel 2. They announce there's a new king in the throne in two kings' name. But most of the time, whenever a trumpet is blown, 
It's to sound an alarm. So here's just one example. If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them their watchmen, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take the warning, and the sword comes and takes him his way away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So, the seven angels in Revelation 8 and 9 blew seven trumpets to warn the world of pending judgment. Pending total judgment. But for now, it's only a third. So let's look at the trumpets. And let's look at only six of them. Because the exact same thing happens with the trumpets as happened with the seals. After six, there's a pause. There's an interlude. And so as we did last time round with the seals, I'm going to devote an entire Sunday next week to the pause. Which in this case is chapter 10 and half of chapter 11. So the six trumpets. But one more thing. And I don't say this lightly. And I certainly take no delight whatsoever in saying this. And it bothers and it troubles me greatly whenever there's even a hint of this being said casually or worse still with an attitude. These trumpets, the warning judgments, are sounded for a particular slice of humanity. It's for those who are still dismissing God, ignoring the Lamb who was slain for them, who have not bowed the knee and confessed Jesus as Lord, and who are earthbound, who are living for this world. And I want to explain that. And explain this with a heavy heart. Do you remember that prayer of the martyrs in chapter 6 that I quoted a few moments ago? Here it is again. O oh Lord, how long? Holy and true, will you refrain from judging? How long? And avenging our blood, and then this phrase, on those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth. What does that mean? In Revelation, that is a phrase that refers to those who don't know God. It's those who oppose God. It is those who are living apart from God. And so here, if you look at verse 13 of chapter 8, we see it again. We didn't read it, but here it is. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that these three angels are about to blow. These warning judgments are directed towards them. But I repeat, there is still time. There is still an opportunity to repent. Mercy prevails for now. These are not directed towards believers. Not because they aren't about. Not because they aren't around. And please look at verse 4 of chapter 9 just to be clear on this concerning those demonic locusts. Here's what it says. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, they're still about. 
So we're back to last week. We're back to that question, who can stand? It's those who belong to God. It's those who don't have an actual stamp on their foreheads. This is symbolism. It's apocalyptic literature. It's those who have been sealed by God, saved by Jesus, and it's obvious they stand out. Plus these judgments, in fact, so much of the imagery here, and some of you all have picked up on this, it's a flashback, it's a memory to what happened in Egypt as recorded in the book of Exodus, because the plagues of judgment that came on the Egyptians then did not touch the Israelites. They were safe in Goshan. And that final and the worst plague of the ten then didn't touch them either because their houses were marked by the blood of the Lamb. And in Revelation 8 and 9, the people of God are marked, they're identified, they're sealed, and therefore they don't need the warning. These trumpets sound for those who dwell on the earth. And so let's listen to them. And they're they're awful. I understand why people don't preach this. I understand why the first five chapters of Revelation is fine. But let's leave it at that. And they follow a similar pattern to the seals, by the way. One to four sound in quick succession. Four and five, there's more detail. Six comes, and then there's a pause, and then seven. So trumpet number one. Hail and fire are mixed with blood. They're thrown down, and a third of the earth and the vegetation are torched. Trumpet number two, a huge burning mountain is pitched into the sea, and a third of the sea, and a third of its creatures, and a third of its ships are affected. And trumpet number three, there's a great star, wormwood, falls from heaven, and a third of the rivers and the springs are affected. And trumpet number four, one third of the sun and the moon and the stars go out. Nature is knocked out of whack. It's out of sync. Goes a bit haywire. And again, as you read this, you can see and you can hear echoes of the plagues in Egypt. And without making too much of this, and I really don't want to make too much of this, but I doubt many people today would argue that something is currently going on with with our nature and with its created order. Here's just a recent quote from NASA. As Earth's climate changes, it is impacting extreme weather across the planet, record-breaking heat waves on land and in the ocean, drenching rains, severe floods, years-long droughts, extreme wildfires and widespread flooding during hurricanes are all becoming more frequent and more intense. Creation groans, to quote Scripture. But as we get nearer the end, and as each moment of each day passes, we are getting there. And God lets it. Trumpet five. Demonic forces are let loose. In what is one of the, if not the most disturbing scenes in the whole letter, 
John sees another star fall from heaven, which given what follows is probably a reference to Satan. To quote Isaiah, how far you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O son of dawn, as he refers to the devil. And it says here that he, Satan, is given the keys to the abyss. And note, he's given them. He doesn't take them. Somehow God allows this. And he, Satan, the key holder, he opens the abyss. And it releases these demonic agents that are described in verses 3 to 10, which are just grotesque. And the imagery is distressing. They're locusts like horses with human faces, with women's hair, with lion's teeth. And they have a leader, a king called Abaddon in Hebrew, or Apollyon in Greek, which basically means destruction and destroyer. And that's the point. Hell bent on destruction. Quote another piece of scripture regarding the enemy. They come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Only this time, in this situation, they're not allowed to kill. Rather, these demonic forces can torment for five months. I have little or no clue what is going on here. And the symbolic, and please remember this, the symbolic imagery I know has been taken and used in all kinds of different ways and then taken in all kinds of different directions. And all I need to say and want to say is this is serious. The warning is deafening. The reality of demonic forces is a reality in Scripture. And unless you pay attention, you may just feel this thing. Trumpet 6 releases the four angels, it says, who are bound at the Euphrates. And along with an army numbering 200 million, who again are just strange looking. They've got heads like horses and lions' heads, and they've got sulfur coming out of their mouths. And they kill a third of all mankind. And the, lead, the readers of this letter, first time round, they would have made certain connections here because that reference to the Euphrates, that was the extreme eastern horizon of the Roman Empire, and it was from there that the Romans feared an enemy was coming who was going to topple their empire. How we make sense is how we connect this, I'm not entirely sure, but the picture that it symbolically paints is inconceivably horrifying. It's revolting, and that's partly because judgment is not pretty. We need... We need, if we are those who dwell on the earth, if we are non-believers, we need to hear this. Eugene Peterson, writing about man's tendency to downplay the whole idea of God's judgment or warning, says this. Still, we do everything we can to make light of judgment. We use every stratagem that we can find to avoid dealing with the consequences of sin. But God will not let us off. He will not indulge our inattention. He will take us seriously. However practiced we become at tuning out sounds that we do not want to hear, including the sound of God's displeasure at sin, 
God finds new ways to penetrate our defensive deafness. These trumpets are blown to get our attention, to warn us, to call us to repentance. And because there is still mercy available, because there is still time to repent, you'd be mad not to, given what we've just listened to. The tragedy here in Revelation 9 is that not everybody does. Not everybody pays heed to the severe warnings. The rest of mankind who were not killed by those plagues, they did not repent. Did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they didn't repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, their thefts. See, despite the reality of judgment, despite the deafening sound of the trumpets, people still choose to ignore that still choose to ignore the sound that lets them know that ultimate and final judgment is coming. People still opt for other gods to worship, other idols to serve. People still live for self, for pleasure, for money, for anything and everything that isn't God. And they still allow sin, and they still allow immorality, and they still allow negative practices and behavior to go unchecked and to go unconfessed and to go unforgiven. And the offer of mercy is refused. And therefore, they need to brace themselves. And invite the guys to come back. So the trumpets in this terrifying scene calls everyone to repentance and for the love of God. Please, if you're one of those who dwell on the earth, please, for the love of God, repent. It is your decision. And for those of us who are believers, can we pray? Can we intercede? Can we plead for mercy for those who do not know the living God? going to close this morning with a, a song of invitation. So come to the altar. It's a song that invites us to come to God. It's a song that reminds us that God offers us forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted that offer, if you've never repented, and can I invite you to use this song as an opportunity to do that? And for those who are believers, can I invite you to use this song to pray, to plead for God's mercy for those who do not know him?